continue our sermon series, Someone Else's Shoes, and uh, we have been going through uh, the Old Testament, looking at what we call secondary characters. A lot of times, uh, as we preach, as pastors preach, we tend to focus on primary characters a lot, but the secondary characters kind of get left behind, so we're spending the summer looking at some of these Bible characters that don't get a lot of press, and looking at them, and looking at how we can learn from them, and relate to them. And we've been in the section of the Judges, uh, which is a book that, um, as I've been saying through the journey, uh, is a little bit discouraging, depressing, to be honest, as uh, a lot of uh, hard things that take place through some of God's leaders. And um, so we've been taking a look at that. And uh, today we are uh, wrapping up that section and we're talking about Samson. And I've been using a term about Samson and uh, what he's like over the last couple weeks. And that term, anybody who's been a part, what, what have I been calling Samson? That he is a knucklehead. knucklehead. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that stuck, obviously. That's good. Um, so what, what is a knucklehead, you might be asking, if you don't know? Uh, a dunce, a dummy, a very stubborn person or animal. I like that definition as I looked up and... Um, the reason why I like that de definition is because I can look at that and go, yep, that is me at times. I am a knucklehead. And I spent some time this week thinking about knucklehead moments in my own life. And um, honestly, like I was having a hard time remembering them. I even asked my wife, I'm like, can you help me with some knucklehead moments? I mean, I know I've had them. And she had a hard time remembering them too. And I, the only reason why I can think about why I'm having a hard time is because I've tried to black them out of my mind, right, as to how bad they are. I'll just tell you two really quick that I can remember. First one was my junior year in high school. Um, a bunch of guys from the youth group of the church that I was a part of at the time, we all decided to go to Big Judd's. And Big Judd's at the time only had the Boise location. And so we went down there, and some of us were football guys and burgers football guys youth group we had to have a competition and so the competition was we were all going to order the one pound burger i don't know if you guys have seen the big judds one pound burger. there's a two pound burger didn't go that route one pound burger pound of fries and a milkshake and we decided to do a competition who could eat that the fastest right so I've gained a little bit of weight since then. But uh, at that time, I weighed about 160 pounds. And let's just say that I ate myself so sick, I needed help getting carried out to the truck. And not only that, I couldn't sit up because I was like, the food was here, if you know what I mean. So I laid in the back of a pickup truck all the way home. And as I'm riding all the way home, I'm thinking to myself, I don't have a seatbelt on. We're going 70 miles an hour down the freeway. Like, this is a really bad idea, right? I couldn't really move the rest of the night. The next day, I didn't eat all day. I was just sick, sick to my stomach. And that was the moment where I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. My second knucklehead moment I want to tell you about was, um, what's that? Well, I completed it, but I didn't win, so it doesn't really matter. So... <laughs> <laughs> I got second. So first loser, yay. Um, and so my second knucklehead moment was about seven, eight years ago. I was hunting and I was going up to my bear stand where I was trying to shoot a bear. And um, as I was going there, 
I was in a hurry because if you know when it comes to bear hunting like the last hours of the evening are the best time and I was wanting to get to my stand before the bear showed up and I spooked the bear and so all that to say I went down an old skid road and it was overgrown with trees and branches and I was moving quickly and I had the radio turned up and I was singing loudly and just driving way too fast well um, just to give you an idea of how loud it was with the music and the branches that were over the road, um, I ended up hitting a big root wad in this narrow, narrow road. And I hit that and I rocked my truck multiple times to the side. Now, looking back, like, I'm lucky I didn't die because the road is pretty much like a canyon on, dropped off on the one side. And as I got to my spot, I went in and I got my stuff set up in my bear stand and I went back to get another load of stuff and as I came back I looked at my truck I'm like that's a really weird shadow on my truck it's really weird I've never seen that shadow and as I got closer and closer and closer what had happened when I hit that root wad is I had rolled the side of my truck up against the side of a tree and so now I had three huge dents on the side of my truck and was sitting there going how in the world did that happen well I walked back to where I hit that root wad and sure enough this huge tree had all the bark ripped off of it and now I had three huge dents on the side of my nice wonderful white truck and I'm sitting there going yeah the wife's not going to be happy about this and I surely didn't pay for it to get fixed because I'm cheap like that and so is my wife so up until about six months ago those dents have remained and now Mark Impostato drives that truck around so when he comes to church you get to see those three dents on the side of the truck so I was a dunce. I was a dummy. Not very smart. We've all had knucklehead moments in our life. We've all had knucklehead moments in our life. And if you think to yourself, well, I've never had a knucklehead moment. No, no. Just go ask people around. They'll be able to share some of your knucklehead moments. But here's the thing. When it comes to our knucklehead moments, there's a fine line of, of like dumb, stubborn, and then there's just complete rebellion. Uh, stuff where the act of the heart and the will is a rebellion against God. And sometimes that's a fine line, right? But we're going to see from Samson today that Samson actually is a character in God's word that is an absolute character of bad judgment, of making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And if you don't know, we've been through this book of Judges, and this has been the cycle of the book of Judges. The book of Judges is always about God's people choosing not to trust him and then God allowing other people to oppress them and then they cry out to God and as they cry out to God then God brings in it God brings in a what a judge right to rescue them they obey for a while and then eventually they go back to the same thing over and over and over again and what we've been talking about in judges is that and not only does God's people do this throughout the book of Judges, 400 years of history, but in addition to that, there's kind of three different sets of judges. The first judges are actually really good judges. They have nothing but positive things that God says about them. Then there's judges that are eh, okay. There's some redeeming qualities about them. Last week, we looked at that person. That person was Gideon. Now we're getting to the last set of judges, and we're focusing on Samson. Why was Samson such a knucklehead? Judges chapter 13, verse 1, is where we're introduced to the story of Samson. Uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Sound familiar? 
Evil nights of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is the story of Samson. And it's important for us to notice that Samson is born and that he is, he is set apart and that he is given a vow. And what is that vow? It says in the text. Anybody catch it? It was a Nazarite vow. What is a Nazarite vow? It's a vow of consecration, separation. It's choosing to separate your life apart from the rest of normal society for the use of God and his purposes. Uh, no alcohol is, is a, a part of this, um, this consecration or this vow. It's the reason why she couldn't have any wine or grapes. No alcohol. Uh, you cannot cut your hair. Uh, you could not touch or associate near death. So this is Samson's call in his life. Let's see how he does with that. Knucklehead moment number one. Uh, Judges chapter 14, uh, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. That sentence should give you a red flag instantly. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives, among all our people? You might be asking yourself this question. Well, why are they asking that question? God had made it pretty clear to the Israelites that they were to be a people that not to intermarry with other women. Deuteronomy chapter 7, do not intermarry with other people or other women. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from the following um, from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you. You see, God wanted his people to be consecrated, holy, devoted to them, to him and to him alone. And so they're asking Samson, why are you wanting to marry a Philistine woman? Isn't there someone that you know of? His answer, must you go, or they say, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Verse four, does not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Here's what's fascinating. There's lots of people that talk about this, lots of different scholars that debate this uh, passage because in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7 we just talked about said do not intermarry and it says that this came from the Lord. What does this mean? Uh, first of all, God doesn't contradict himself, right? God doesn't contradict himself. God wanted uh, Samson, I believe, to, to marry uh, one of his own and to continue on in obeying Deuteronomy chapter 7. However, God knew that he wasn't going to obey, and so God decided to use it. God decided to use it and bring about his purposes. What can we learn? God can bring about good out of even the bad things that we do, and some of you guys have experienced that. God doesn't bless the th bad things that we do. However, he can bring about good out of it. He can bring good out of it. So right from the very beginning, Samson is not obeying God. Samson's uh, first story is not a hymn of, 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 of righteousness, but instead choosing to do the opposite of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, maybe he'll write the ship. Right? Maybe. Maybe? No. No. Verse 5. 
Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Okay, first read that story. I'm like, all right. Samson's a man's man, right? Like, look at this guy tearing a lion apart. I love it. How does he do from there? And he went down and talked with, talked with the woman. Oh, wait, excuse me. He told neither of his father and mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. When we first read this story, the first question I asked myself is, why is this story in here? It's just inserted. Put in there. And then you'll see if the rest of the chapter, they just move right along. But do you remember the Nazarite vow? Anything unclean, specifically anything that's associated with, you may remember? Death. And so Samson destroys this lion, and then it says later on he returned to the carcass, and as he returned to the carcass, he saw this honey. Samson chooses to completely disregard his Nazarite vow. It's also fascinating, there seems to be no apparent consequences for his actions. Did you guys check that? He disregards his Nazarite vow. He then has no consequences for his actions. I love the analogy that God uses when it comes to honey and the carcass of a lion. Reminds me of temptation. That honey and temptation are both similar in the sense that it's pleasing, tasteful to the eye. Samson chooses to disregard his Nazarite vow. There's no consequences, as it seems, when it comes to this decision. But yet it's written here. Why is it written here? What is the lesson learned? I think the lesson learned is this, is that, is that God sees everything. <laughs> Even though you may not be like seeing the consequences of your disobedience, seeing the consequences of, of the things that you do, God sees it all. God sees it all. So Samson starts off not too good. Chapter continues on, still not very good. And then we get to knucklehead moment number three. <laughs> Let me just say this. I'm calling them knucklehead number one, number two, number three. There's at least, from what I can tell, uh, four other knucklehead moments in Samson's life. I only have time to mention three of them. And knucklehead moment number three, just to give you some context, Samson loses his first wife to the Philistines, and he meets another woman named Delilah. Everybody say Delilah. Delilah, Delilah, Delilah. Delilah is trouble from the start. Delilah is trouble from the start. She has no regard as to what is best for her husband. In the very beginning, she's trying to trick Samson into giving up his kryptonite, figuring out where his power comes from, why he's able to do what he's able to do. And she continues to prod and nag him to tell 
um, her his secrets. Um, she's a manipulative woman. And finally, finally, Samson gives up the secret. Judges chapter 16, verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Honest woman, right? With such nagging and pro, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have seen a Nazarite, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's room. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. For all you guys who shave your heads. Um, we are strong men. Don't let this story discourage you, okay? Um, <laughs> when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she went to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the uh, silver in their hands, and after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistine are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with the bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson, for the first time, is captured by the Philistines in prison. And honestly, the next couple of verses are mocked amongst the Philistines, made fun of amongst the Philistines. Eventually, in verse 28, as he's brought forward in front of all the people, it says this, that Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me, uh, let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Then he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Be honest with you um, as much as I joked about Samson being a knucklehead and as much as I prepared for this sermon Samson's life is a is a tragic life and as as much as um, I've been preparing for this sermon like I get to share with you some good news at the end but up until this point like this is actually a very hard sermon to preach it's it's tragic, actually, Samson's life. Where a man who is supposed to be used by God over and again and over again and over again actually is a knucklehead who chooses to rebel and ultimately leads to his death. When you read... Your, your Bible as a young child, it doesn't portray Samson that way, does it? But Samson is a, is a tragic, tragic tale. And what we learn from Samson is that God can bring more good out of our obedience and we ourselves experience much less pain. I want you to notice the amount of pain that Samson experienced in his life. 
some of that pain some of the consequences of his choices like we don't really see but but in the end we see the consequences of his choices we see the pain that he endured and yet what is confusing is if you move towards the new testament in hebrews chapter 11 there's this amazing chapter hebrews chapter 11 for those of you guys that know your bibles what is hebrews chapter 11 the chapter of faith the hall of faith where the writer of Hebrews starts writing down all these people who show tremendous faith. And guess who makes it in chapter 11, or Hebrews chapter 11? Samson. Why is Samson in Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, which, by the way, Jephthah, he belongs in that other category, that this category of like not good judge. Spent some time reading about him this week. How is Jephthah in Hebrews chapter 11? About David, which we all know that David was a man after God's own, but also murdered a man, took advantage of a woman, had an affair. How is he in the hall of faith? Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. This is the moment where you read that and you go, Woo! The Samson? Like, why is he there? Why? Is Samson in Hebrews chapter 11. We need to look at tragedy in Scripture through this lens. This is the, the good news part when you really start to think about it. God's plan, it moves forward in partnership with us or in spite of us. God's plan, his agenda, moves forward in partnership with us or sometimes in spite of us. And when we really look at that, we begin to actually understand the weight and significance of God's grace. God's grace. Because when it comes to looking at human beings and making the hall of faith, many of them were amazing, amazing characters of faith, and yet many of them had significant, significant character flaws. And so for all of us, we have to look at this and ask the question, what does my life look like? And for some of you, the consequences of your decisions, like, are out in the open for all to see. And for some of you, they're not out in the open necessarily yet. But God's grace continues to be efficient, sufficient because his plan continues to move forward whether we're choosing to partner with him or not. And for me, that brings quite a bit of peace, actually. Quite a bit of peace. 
Your life, our lives, can be a testimony of what God can do with your efforts to partner with God, or it can be a testimony of what God did in spite of your efforts. What will your life be marked as? Will your life be marked as a person who chose to partner with God in the midst of mistakes and sin that we all choose? Will it be a life that is a constant trajectory of continued dependence on God, of faith and repentance, or will it be a life, constant trajectory of actually disobedience, of God moving his plan forward in spite of your efforts? And with that comes this image that I just want to show you. This is the image of Samson's life for us. Um, I couldn't find the exact picture, but it was kind of close. There's this picture over on Pleasant Valley in Cunamora Road. You know where that's at? Over south of the prison. Anybody been out there? The reason why that stop sign has so much meaning to me is because that's a dangerous intersection. For whatever reason, cars stop and don't see other cars heading east and west towards Cuna and Blacks Creek. And there are a lot of accidents there. And in fact, I've been there through that intersection throughout all my lifetime. And three times I've almost hit somebody. And at that intersection, every single time I come up to it and there's a car there, in spite of everything that I have in the sense of being an aggressive driver that goes five to seven miles an hour over the speed limit, anybody else? It's not speeding, just so you know. That's not really breaking the law, just so you know. At that intersection, like, I see a car there, I slow down. Because I've almost T-boned three people. And we will look at Samson's life, that's kind of like what should go on in our hearts when we read Samson. We should probably go, I should stop and look at my life and ask the question, where is the trajectory of my life headed? Where is the trajectory of my heart headed? And is my life a life in partnership with God and his purposes and his agenda, or is God actually using my life in spite of me? And Samson is a cautionary tale for all of us to kind of lay off the gas, pump the brakes, and just stop, think. Where am I headed? Where am I going? And the second one is this. These stories should remind us of the truth and abundant grace found in Jesus. (laughs) That Samson, at the end of his life, said, Lord, would you use me one last time? And the Lord says, one last time. And the story of Jesus is a story of anybody who is willing to stop and repent, change the trajectory, Jesus is always willing to receive us back. And so what does your life look like right now? And what is it that Jesus is inviting you into next to maybe turn around and trust him again? Two things I want you to think about 
What things do you need to repent over this morning? For some of you, you have made choices and there's no consequences yet, but God sees everything. And he's asking you not to be like Samson. He's asking you to, to come to him and to be honest. For some of you, like it is out in the open. God is asking you to continue the trajectory of faith, to walk faithfully with him. And secondly, there's some of you that you're walking faithfully, you're walking in humble obedience to Jesus, but there are Samsons around in your life. What would it look like for you to, to reach out to them, to love them, to be Jesus' in hands, hands and feet in their lives so that they may, they may, just maybe, choose to change the trajectory of their life because of your love to them. Who are the Samsons in your life? As we get ready to go to the Lord's table, we're gonna take um, a meal together. If you're new, maybe you're not used to communion. Is this a meal? Anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, in the death, burial, and resurrection, we invite you in this meal together. And it just represents a piece of bread. A cup of juice represents Jesus' body and blood sacrifice. If you didn't get communion this morning, as you came in and would like it now, just go ahead and raise your hand, and these amazing people will be sure to give you communion this morning. But I want to invite you to just reflect on those two things. What, what are the things that you need to talk to the Lord about? And secondly, who are the Samsons in your life that God is calling on you to love and to love well? Show them what God's grace looks like. Let's spend some time with Jesus this morning as we get ready to go to the table.